Romans. I'm changing the message this morning with the hope it might be a little bit more relevant to what we're going through. Romans chapter 5. In just a moment, we're going to read verses 2 through 5. The title of the message is Finding Hope. Told you it was relevant. Finding Hope. And when you found Romans chapter 5, look up here at me, please. Tomorrow is coming. Like it or not, want it to come or not, tomorrow is coming. Amen. For some of us, tomorrow is full of apprehension, stress, and fear. For some of us, tomorrow means facing a tropical storm with all of its winds and rain. For some of us, tomorrow is facing biopsy results. For some of us, tomorrow is facing surgery. For some of us, tomorrow is facing a bill that is overdue and must be paid tomorrow and no money to pay it. For some of us, tomorrow is a court date. For some of us, tomorrow is facing the heat of the sun or the heat of office tension where you work. For some of you, tomorrow is facing a layoff or a shutdown. For some of you, tomorrow is facing a family issue or a business matter. Maybe for tomorrow, some of you are going to go through an unpleasant person or an unpleasant situation. I don't know what your tomorrow is going to be, but I can tell you this, you will have a tomorrow. And whether you have planned for it or it's unplanned, scheduled or unscheduled, expected or unexpected, Tomorrow is coming. And what the Lord wants us to have today, so we'll be ready for tomorrow, is hope. Hope. We live in a world where there's not a lot of hope. People just exist. They don't have hope. You know, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. I've come that you might have peace. I've come that you might have joy. I've come that you might have hope. I've come that you might have abundant, abundant peace, joy, and hope. I've come to fill your cup up and overflow your cup. I've come to give you a life, not an existence, a life, not just a life, here and now, but a life in the hereafter. And yet so many people, they just exist. They have no hope. They have no hope for this life, and they don't have any hope for the life to come. They just exist. The Lord wants us to have hope. That whatever our tomorrow is, we are ready today. 
We are ready today. Hope is a Bible word. But the meaning of hope has been changed by our secular world. Our secular world has neutered the biblical word for hope. What is hope biblically? It is the confidence and the certainty. The confidence, the certainty that what God has said, God will do. That what God has promised, God has the power to fulfill. That's biblical hope. I believe, I have confidence, I have certainty, I have affirmation, I have assurance that what my God said He will do, He will do. Exclamation point. What our world has done is changed that definition of hope to a wish for the best or to have good luck. When you talk to people without the Lord and you ask them, do you have hope? Yeah, I have hope. I put all my hope in fate and luck and chance. <laughs> the roll of the dice, if you will. Biblical hope is a fact. F-A-C-T, a fact based on the promise of God and the power of God. It's not a fancy based on Lady Luck's help and my ability to keep my fingers crossed. God wants us to have hope that whatever your tomorrow is, whatever my tomorrow is, whatever our tomorrow is, we can trust in God and what He has said because what He said is what He's going to do. We need hope. You can live days without food, hours without water, minutes without oxygen. But you can't live seconds without hope. When people lose hope, they just want to die. Hope. In Romans chapter 5, Beginning with verse 2, the Apostle Paul is writing the church at Rome. He's writing Miles Road as well, by the way. And he's talking about how we get this hope in a world where people just exist and live hopeless lives. How do we get the hope? Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 2 through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Pay attention, tribulations. Knowing, knowing that tribulation will produce patience or perseverance. And that patience or perseverance will produce character. And that character will produce hope. Did you notice the assembly line of how to make hope? Many of you have worked in a factory. 
At the front end of the assembly line is metal and plastics and wires and rubber. And somehow as all of that stuff moves down the assembly line, it is transformed that when it gets to the end, it's a brand new Mercedes. It's amazing how that works. We had the opportunity to be at the BMW plant some years ago. It's amazing how they take a pile of junk at point A and run it through the process and drive out a brand new BMW. It's amazing how that works. Well, that's what Paul's talking about to God's people in regard to hope. He says the Lord has an assembly line. He starts out with this, and then it goes to this, and then it goes to this, and then you see the finished product. What's he talking about? He's talking about hope. Let me give you the assembly line, then we're going to look at each place individually. Life brings problems. Shake your head. Life brings problems. You say, I don't have any problems. Wait till tomorrow. Wait till next week. Next week, month. Just because you don't have any right now, don't you walk around high, wide, and handsome and think you're a special class of Christian. I can assure you, life has problems. And problems bring patience. Patience brings character. Character brings hope. That's the assembly line. You start out with the tribulations, the problems. Not good, but necessary. And from there you go to patience. And from there you'll go to character. And then you'll drive away in a brand new automobile of hope. There's no substitutions to that assembly line. There's no shortcuts. There's no get hope for free cards that you can buy. It's that way. So I want you to visualize, if you will, this assembly line. But we're going to use some sports metaphors, if that's okay with you. Most of you are familiar with baseball. Most of you. Would that be a correct assumption? Some of you, about five or six of you, y'all have heard of baseball. Just shake your head whether you know anything about it or not. In baseball, there's how many bases? Y'all smarter than that 830 crowd, I'll tell you. Some of you are still wondering, I didn't even know there's a base in baseball. All right, first base. Second base, third base, home base. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to set up our assembly line on a baseball field. And we're going to learn how we can go around the bases of the assembly line, if you will. And we're going to learn how to score hope this morning. Now, before you can get to home plate, you've you got to get to third base, right? But before you get to third base, you've got to get to second base. Before you get to second base, you've got to get to first base. So what's first base on the assembly line of God-producing hope in us 
that we can have the confidence that what he said is what he's going to do as we prepare tomorrow what we know, what we don't know that's coming. Because tomorrow is coming, right? It's coming. So you've got to be ready. Notice in verse 3, first base, the first point on the assembly line of hope is problems. Notice in verse 3, we glory in tribulations. Tribulations is a fancy word for problems, pain, pressure, and perplexities that are unavoidable, they're inevitable, they're unescapable, they are going to come, period. Did you hear that? You say, but pastor, I'm a blood-washed Christian. I'm glad you are, but you're going to have tribulations. Pastor, I'm a Baptist. I'm glad you are, but you're going to have tribulations. Pastor, I'm a serving, tithing member, ordained member, by the way, pastor, of Miles Road Baptist Church. I'm glad you are, but you're going to have tribulations. There's no escaping it. Nobody gets an exemption. Nobody gets an exception. Nobody gets an exclusion. Nobody escapes. In this world, you shall have tribulation. That's what the Lord said. You're going to have it. Now, what tribulation again means, so you'll be clear, it means pain. Problems, pressures, perplexities that we will face in this journey called life that are unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable. Even if you don't know what there are and you don't know when they're coming, I promise you, you're going to have them. Now you might say, well, Pastor, why do we have these things? Because we live in a world of suffering. Our world is a sin-cursed world. Do you know that? Not only are we cursed by sin, our world is cursed by sin. We live in a dying world because the wages of sin is what? Death. The soul that sinneth will die. The world that is infected, infested by sin is going to die too. Natural catastrophes are just the convulsions of a dying world. So we live in a world that is sin-cursed. So there's going to be tribulations. We also live in a world that's filled with sinners. Do you know any sinners? <laughs> Hold up your finger. Point yourself. You know at least one. We live in a world of sinners. And sinners hurt people. Whether we want to or not, we hurt people, and that hurt causes tribulation to people. So we live in a sin-cursed world. There's going to be tribulation. We ourselves are sinners. There's going to be tribulation. We live in a world that is Satan's domain. Do you know that this is Satan's world right now? He offered it to Jesus. Of course, Jesus declined it because Jesus knew he was going to get it anyway. 
But Jesus never refuted the devil's offer. He didn't say, this is not your world, offer me. Jesus just said, no, thank you. I'll get it all later anyway. And you know, that's what faith is. Faith is Superman vision, telescopic vision. It says, I don't need to get something now from the devil. I'm going to get something better from God later. It was Joseph in Egypt. He said, listen, you might can make me a Pharaoh here in Egypt. You might can make me rich in Egypt. But by the way, I don't need this because I got something better coming. I'm going to be a son of God one day and live in a place called heaven. Faith sees beyond the moment and sees later down the road. So we live in a world right now that's the devil's world, and he's a liar and he's a murderer. That's why we live in a world of deception and destruction. Our world is cursed by sin. Our world is full of sinners, and we're one of them. And because we are in the midst of all of that, we can say, like David said, I'm but a step away from death, because we are, if you think about it. Or just a step away from tribulation and trouble and trials and temptations. It's all around us. Sometimes we ask the question, why me? You know what the better question to ask is? Why not me? Why, why do we suppose, think we're going to get a pass? We're not. Jesus didn't get a pass. Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, didn't get a pass. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever born of a woman, didn't get a pass. The Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian man who ever lived, didn't get a pass. Why do you think we're going to get one? Because what does God want to do? He wants to produce in us what? Hope. And so in order to produce hope, we have to go through tribulation. You have to get to first base, and first base is tribulation. It's going to happen. And you know, it can happen unexpectedly, can it? You know, most of us right now, are, we're expecting something tomorrow in the way of rain and winds. But have you ever thought about this tomorrow? Maybe your doctor is going to call you in tomorrow. That's strange he would do that on a day where we're going to have all this rain and wind and lots of people have left town. Why would my doctor give me a call and want to talk to me about my physical? Maybe it's cancer. Maybe tomorrow you're going to go on your daily walk through your neighborhood. You do it all the time. You know everybody. But tomorrow you're going to see two people you don't know follow behind you. And they're going to knock you in the head and leave you for the dead and take everything you've got on your person. Maybe tomorrow you'll drive home from work as you always drive home from work. And somebody who's been drinking all night who decides they want to come home and travel on the same road you're on will run off and hit you at 100 miles an hour. Maybe in your pay envelope this coming Friday will be your paycheck 
and your termination together. Maybe you're going to be home this Saturday watching a football game and your mother-in-law unexpectedly shows up. You just never know. But you're going to have tribulation. And it's in those hurts that God gives you hope. Some of you won't remember one single thing I've said but that. Hurt. Y'all pray for me. I just had mother-in-law with me. <laughs> uh, hurt brings hope. First base. Tribulation. But then we go to second base. This, we go to the second station on the assembly line. And that's called patience. Look at your Bible again, verse 3. We glory in tribulations. Why would we glory in tribulations? That don't make a bit of sense. Because it leads us to the next station, which is patience. Patience. What is patience? Biblically, the word patient means to stay the course of what you're facing. And wait on God to deal with it. It means to stay the course of whatever you're facing. And believe that God will deal with it in his own time, in his own way, for his glory, the good of others, and for your growth. Patience. Now, we don't like the word patience. In fact, most of us do other things but be patient when tribulation comes. When pressures and problems and perplexities and pain comes, most of us just want to run. We want to disappear from sight. We just want to be left alone. We somehow believe that if we can run fast enough, we can get away from this pain. The problems, the pressures, the perplexity of the life. We can outrun tribulation. No, you can't. It's like a bloodhound. It'll follow you everywhere you go. Some people think, well, if I just deny it, if I, if I just put my head in the sand like the ostrich, it'll go away. If I, if I speak nothing is wrong, I'll be fine. That's voodoo theology. You can deny it all you want. <laughs> but when you're in it, you're in it. You can quit. Many people do. They just give up on life. They give up on faith. I've been there. I've done that. If this is all God has for me, I don't want it. And they go back into the world. Some people just bellyache about it. It's not fair. It's not right. 
Why is everybody always picking on me? You know, the Charlie Brown thing. Other people panic. They just go crazy. They, 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 get, they get all dramaed up and hyped up and they just go bonkers. What do you do when, when tribulation comes? Do you run? Do you deny? Do you quit? Do you bellyache? Do you panic? Or do you do all of the above? You know what the Lord wants us to do? He wants us to get to second base, and second base is patience. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I've got problems. I've got pains. I've got confusion, perplexities. I feel the stress and the pressures of life. But Lord, I'm not going to quit. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to believe that one day you're going to step in and take care of all this. what they do. They have patience. Though he slays me, I will trust him. I'm not a fair weather follower. I'm not a fair weather fan. I'm a disciple. And I will follow Jesus as I wait on him to do what he said because he can do what he said. Tribulation, you get the first base. And everybody, by the way, is going to be at first base. God wants us now to move from tribulation to patience. I'm not going to quit. I will wait on God until He moves. And then we go from second base, which is the patience to believe that, to where? Where do we go next? Why are y'all so tentative? Y'all know baseball? Third base. Yeah, that's right. Third base. Well, what's third base? Verse 4, it's character. Tribulation worketh patience. Pain and problems and perplexities and pressures should bring out in us a determination that we're not going to quit. We're not quitters. We decided to follow Jesus and we'll follow him as we await on his intervention. Once we do that, we will begin to develop the third part of the assembly line, the third station, the third base, and that's called character. And this character that he's talking about is to be like Jesus. Isn't that what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen? To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. My one desire is to be like Him. I just want to please the Lord, to be in His will in every way, to be lost in His presence, to be found in His likeness. Each and every day, our goal should be to be like Jesus, not just to follow Jesus, but to walk with Him. And in order to walk with Him, we have to be in agreement with Him. And the way that we're in agreement with Him is we are like Him. We're like Him. In order for Him to pour Himself into us, He first must pour our, us out of ourselves. You can't fill a glass that's already filled. And many of us are filled with the things of the world. We look like the world. 
But tribulation that worketh patience has a way of working the character of God into us. That when people see us, they actually see Jesus. They see his peace. They see his joy. They see his love. They see his long-suffering, his, his gentleness, his goodness, his graciousness, his faith, his meekness, his moderation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody said, you look just like Jesus. We have his likeness. Are you thinking? I've got troubles. That's not a bad thing. You're going to have them anyway, whether you want them or not. But if I take my troubles and respond to them with patience, I'm not giving up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'll get to second base. And then if I make a decision that I'm going to enter into these things and be like him, not like the world, but like him, you'll get to third base. And then you're one base away from what? Scoring. Isn't that what baseball's all about? Scoring. Not just to run around the bases, but to score. Not just to get a hit, but to score. That's what it's about, scoring. And if we do those things, Day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Guess what? Tribulation turns to patience. Patience turns to character. And character then turns to what? Hope. Verse 4, hope. You say, Pastor, is hope heaven? Well, yes and no. You can have heaven down here before you get to heaven up there. Some of us go through hell to get to heaven. But you can go through heaven down here to get to heaven. And that's when you have patience, and that's when you have character, and that's when you develop this hope. You stay in the game. You let God continue to work in you and through you that you can score. The Lord Jesus isn't going to leave any runners stranded. He's going to clean the bases out. He wants to get you home. And he wants to get you home with hope. In Lamentations chapter 3, as we close, Jeremiah, who was an Old Testament prophet, but more like Jesus than perhaps any of all the other prophets combined in the Old Testament. In Lamentations 3, he talks about being overwhelmed by life. And then he comes back to the hope that he has in God. Lamentations 3, beginning with verse 18. By the way, Lamentations is in the Old Testament. He says in verse 18, this is Jeremiah speaking, My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Some of you might feel like that right now. I remember my affliction in roaming. I remember the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and it sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. And then I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, I shall not be consumed because His compassions fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness unto me. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I will place my hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. That's patience. So the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Troubles, patience, character leads to hope. And that's what we need as we face tomorrow. We need hope. Florence Chadwick was the first woman to ever swim across the English Channel from England to France and then to turn around and swim back from France to England. That's a pretty lengthy swim. Well, in her first attempt at doing this, it didn't go well. You say, Pastor, what happened that it didn't go well? Pastor, I bet she saw a great white shark and thought she better get out of the water that's probably why she didn't make it the first time. Right, Pastor? No. No sharks. Pastor, I bet she got tired. That's a lot of swimming. That's just not playing in the water and floating on your back. That's actually swimming. And actual swimming is the hardest sport you can do. It requires everything you've got. And I bet she got tired and wore, wore out, and she just decided to throw in the towel and quit the first time. Right, Pastor? No. She wasn't tired at all. I bet she got cold, Pastor. That water's pretty cold. She was probably numb. She probably couldn't feel her hands or her feet. Her lips were blue. May have been, but that's not why she quit. I bet there was a storm coming, Pastor. I bet... Irma's sister Betty was crossing the channel. And I bet she heard about that storm and she decided, I don't want to fool with it. No, that's not the reason she quit either. Florence Chadwick failed in her first attempt to swim from England to France and France back to England across the English Channel twice because of fog. A heavy fog set in. And as she was trying to swim, it got so thick and so dense, she couldn't see the hand in front of her face. And she panicked. And she stopped swimming because she couldn't see what was ahead. Her second attempt, she trained to deal with the fog. She conditioned her mind to understand, though I can't see through the fog, I know what's on the other side. If I keep swimming, I'm eventually going to get to land. She prepared herself for that. Ladies and gentlemen, as I close... The journey of life 
will sometimes have a heavy fog in front of us. We can't see what's on the other side. We can't even see the hand in front of us. The tribulations are that thick, that dense, that heavy. And everything in, in us wants to just quit. I can't see no end of it. I can't see nothing. It's when that occurs that we have to have our mind and heart conditioned that there's something on the other side of the fog. We have a hope that is greater than the fog, that's greater than the problems, the persecutions, the pressures, the perplexities, the pains of life. We don't have to see, we know. The Lord Jesus is on the other side. Hope. Do you have it? You better. You don't want to face tomorrow without it. And you don't want to die without it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.